Hello, one and all, and welcome to Crash in the Glass. I'm Sean Haladik, and I'm joined by my good friend David Rodriguez, and we are here to talk basketball. First off, David, how are you doing today? I, I have no complaints, Sean. Well, I guess I do have one complaint. One complaint. Uh, looks like the majority of the free agency period is unfortunately... Uh, behind us now, so we're, we're heading into those. Yeah, it's know, like what one guy left, Clint Capella. Yeah, Clint Capella is probably the main waiting. one. A lot of minor, probably veteran minimum deals, if not much more than that. So we'll see though. But uh, basketball never sleeps. It's twenty. It's a twelve month a year sport at this point. So I'm sure something will come up that will yeah, blow get, the landscape. You get Clint Capella to get you through August, and then Two uh, K will come out in September. So yeah. that'll keep you going for a little bit. This is know. true. And then I'm sure somebody else will complain and want out of a team, and then they'll have to accommodate that person, too. I might demand a trade to a different podcast. There we'll we see. go. I will be uh, benching you for the season as, <laughs> as opposed to giving in. I will not acquiesce. Wow. But on that note, let's dive right into what was the biggest news since our last recording, and that is the Toronto Raptors have acquired Kawhi Leonard from the San Antonio Spurs for a package based around DeMar DeRozan. Um, obviously, some other things going on in there. The Spurs received a protected first-round pick, uh, as well as uh, forward uh, Jacob Pol. I don't actually have Jacob Pertle. Come yeah. on, well, Jacob Pertle. Yeah, sorry. Jacob Pertle. It's a ridiculous his, name. His nickname within the Toronto fan base is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Pertle. So I do like you that. Do like, I assumed you'd be a fan I'm, of the nickname. I do like that nickname. I did not see him play much last year. So I was not uh, overly familiar with the pronunciation of his name. Yeah, so he's, uh, just to give a brief sort of, uh, I guess, a synopsis of who he is, he's a young, athletic big. Um, at times, he was probably better to have on the court for the Raptors, given his uh, ability to at least help on switchability and defense, because um, he is a little more athletic and a little more agile than Jonas Valanciunas. So it's it's a it is a, it's an intriguing piece. I don't think he has superstar potential, but it's also not really the focus of the trade. Correct. It's clearly, not super, yeah. clearly, the trade is centered around the Toronto Raptors are tired of being stuck in a bit of mediocrity, and so they are taking the boom or bust approach with Kawhi Leonard. And in return, the Spurs are getting a 28 year old All Star who um, really has the chance to keep the Spurs in the competitive hunt for sort of Western Conference. Um, schlog that is that ridiculous grouping um but for them they made the playoffs without Kawhi Leonard last year and they now added DeMar DeRozan to the mix so I would think that from their perspective I I really do love the trade um as far as if you're not going to get that treasure trove of draft picks and all those things to sort of reset your organization you've still got LaMarcus Aldridge you know you've got um some other young good pieces you brought back Rudy Gay. You, you know, you've committed that money to a veteran like that. Why not bring in DeMar DeRozan and really make another run at it for a couple of years? Because I believe you've got two years left on DeMar DeRozan plus a player option. Correct, yes. yes. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a flat rate of, I think, yeah, around it's $27.5, yeah. I think, million dollars for each year, the third year being the player option. He'll probably opt out if he feels he can make a little more money, but either way, they get him for at least two years with the chance of the third or a re-signing. So I, I think a lot of good things from that for the Spurs – the draft pick will look most likely just be a high 20s draft pick given how the Raptors look. But really from the Raptors side of this thing, and I think this is the most interesting part, you know, they, they've been stuck in this rut of being really good but not good enough to advance past the conference finals or even to the conference finals. Um, and what this does for them is they cleared DeMar DeRozan's salary off of their books. They're not locked in now for the next couple of years. The only long-term contract that they have left is Kawhi, uh, Kyle Lowry. And they obviously have one year of Kawhi Leonard 
either he loves his time in Toronto, they do really, really well, and he decides to resign with them, which I don't necessarily think is going to happen considering he's already been pretty verbally upset that he got traded there, or he leaves, they clear a ton of money off the books, and they hit the reset button on the organization. And they could even consider flipping him mid-season if things look like they're not a long-term marriage there and try and get some picks and some young players and really accelerate that rebuild. Mm-hmm. That was my initial takeaway. What were your thoughts on the trade? Yeah, you touched on a couple of key phrases there or key words that I want to use, that I want to go back to. Um, one well, of them search is search engine optimization. Here. Yes, <laughs> one of them was very good. And uh, when you referenced that, you were talking about the Toronto Raptors in terms of what sort of team they've been the last couple of years. They've been a very good team. And when you're um, when you're an NBA franchise and you have hopes of winning a championship, there's really sort of two categories you want to be in if you're talking long term. You either want to be elite, right? So if you're talking like the top four, maybe five teams, or you want to be terrible, unfortunately, because that's a lot. That's you know a lot of time a lot of teams turn around their franchises being terrible, getting those top draft picks, um, either developing those players or flipping them for superstars. Yeah, the, and the Sixers Rap- model. Yeah, and then the Raptors. They've been stuck in that very good tier, which consistently gets you those 50-win seasons. It consistently gets you home court advantage in the playoffs. Uh, but they just they were maxed out at who they were. We knew what this team was. They were going to be the same team for the next year, probably two years. And this this changes everything for them. I think this elevates their ceiling through the roof. I think this elevates their team as a potential NBA Finals team that can come out of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, there are huge variables that are huge, like, variables in terms of how this can work for them right like you touched on it's it's been reported that Kawhi may not be happy to go there um he has shown up there there's already been a photo of him giving a 25 percent sort of smile from his face <laughs> so he's at least there we know that but what like what, the, the big question is what player is Toronto getting if they're getting a player who is the top three player in the league who I, I felt was one of the best players in the league um who's a finals MVP player that absolutely changes their ceiling. It, it changes who they can be as a team. It does put them in that potential, like close to. I don't. I don't. Th- I'm not going to put them in the elite category, but they're definitely really close to that. And you, you, you know, you, you mentioned well, the Eastern that conference is wide open now. It is right. I mean, really, the Celtics are the only team that a lot of clubs are afraid of, on paper, anyways. So it gives the the Raptors a chance to have a real path to the conference finals and a shot at making the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing for them. If Kawhi Leonard puts in maximum effort. Mm-hmm. I think I would have liked the trade a little bit more, even more, I guess, from the Raptors' perspective, had they not canned Dwayne Casey um, already because he's a guy who was trying to get this team to be shooting a lot more threes, and that was really hard to do when DeMar DeRozan's not a very good three-point shooter, but you know who is? Kawhi Leonard. And that he would have made a better fit for Dwayne Casey's system. Um, so from my personal perspective, I thought that was a bit of a blunder on their part in that you know, if you knew you were going to be heavy on this on this kind of trade, it, at least if you had heavy interest on getting in on it, you knew that a guy like Kawhi would fit Dwayne Casey's system a little better. You could have waited a little bit longer. It's not like they got a stunning, amazing coach in return. Um, so I, I just don't I don't like it from that one one angle. I thought was a bit of a miss on Toronto's perspective. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's actually a question I, I thought to myself as well. Is if they knew that this was coming to come, right? Even going back to May when they were yeah, it's been clear that Kawhi's out. wanted out for a while. Mm-hmm. So they if they were going to heavily throw their hat in the ring and put someone of Demar Derozan's caliber on the table, which gives you a really good shot at getting this trade to go through maybe you should have held on to Dwayne Casey until you could figure out if you could actually make the deal happen. Right. That's, that's yeah, that, that's kind of my thought too is, like, you know, if they know that this is coming or if they know that they're going to try to do it, 
um, because it's clear that change was needed within Toronto. So hats off to Masai Ujiri. Like a lot, there's been a lot of criticisms of he's a good GM, but he's kind of stayed pat and he's kind of just held the court together. Well, this offseason has been a huge shakeup, starting with getting rid of Coach Casey and now this Kawhi trade. These are changes. So at the bare minimum, like he's he's absolutely going for it. And when I think about um, the head coaching position of Toronto right now, so it's Nick Nurse. He's an internal hire. Um, he has been given a lot of credit for Toronto's ability to or desire to shoot more three pointers, but he's an unproven guy. And the only the only sort of comparison I can think of in recent years is going back to like David Blatt, like in. Um, Cleveland, when he was hired initially, he didn't sign up for the LeBron James circus that, that came about. Um, Cleveland got LeBron James back, and all of a sudden they decided, or they, already, they had already hired David Blatt, so they couldn't really do much there. And I'm thinking Toronto might be in a similar boat of, like, Kawhi Leonard changes our ceiling, it changes our expectations. Maybe we should have either kept Casey, or maybe we should have hired somebody who might be a more established. Yeah, it just uh, seems short-sighted. You know your intentions going into the offseason, right? Um, and unless this just really sort of struck... Missouri kind of in the last two weeks that maybe maybe we have a shot at this thing and now he didn't he didn't think it was a real opportunity until now but it just seems a little short-sighted on their part um what did you make of the DeMar DeRozan displeasure in all this I mean obviously he's going to a great organization in the Spurs and I think he's ultimately going to be happy to play there because he's still going to be competitive I know the West is harder but you're paired with a couple you know some good players around you in a, in a really competitive culture but he was very upset because he was told by Missouri that he wasn't going to be traded. He was not on the table in any considerations. He was a Raptor. Uh, in some, this was during Summer League. And mm-hmm. then a couple weeks later, they turn around and, and ship him off to San Antonio. Did you have any feelings or thoughts on that? It sucks. I don't know. It's, 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 it's unfortunate. It, the, the one thing I don't like is Messiah um, Jury. If this is true, openly telling DeMar DeRozan, you will not be traded. Correct. I think that's where the line is. The fact that he was traded, I'm okay with that because this is, we've referenced this a lot. We see this with like, you know, even tragic sort of trade scenarios like the Isaiah Thomas thing where he plays after his sister dies and, and all that. This is a business, though, is what it comes down to. And the, the management's job is to make the, the best uh, basketball-based decisions to put the best product out there um, to win a championship. And this is in that direction. It's unfortunate that or it's terrible, Masai Jiri should not be telling players no. It should be left more vague, which is going to piss them off probably in the moment, but mm-hmm. you have to be honest with them. Because uh, at, the, at the end of the day, unless you're like a top five potential player, and I know it's interesting because we just saw Kawhi traded, but for the most part, if you're like a top five player, you're probably not going to be traded unless it's a total rebuild and breakdown scenario. Uh, but this is kind of what it comes down to, and, and it could be a lot worse for DeMar DeRozan. No, I get, it could be, but I guess here's where my thought is, right? I've spent the last two months kind of complaining about Kawhi Leonard, and maybe more than that, complaining about Kawhi Leonard and sort of his commitment to the team and all of those things. And he he's taken this hardline angle of this is a business and I'm setting myself up for the long term of what I want as a player. Uh, it's hard to be so critical of a particular player when an organization can go turn around and do the same kind of thing to a player, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... it's a, it's It now... It makes the whole situation very hypocritical for an organization to want a player to show loyalty. And, you know, much like we saw with Isaiah Thomas in Boston and now DeMar DeRozan in Toronto, two guys who were the faces of those franchises, you know, albeit Boston was a smaller window. But for Toronto, DeMar DeRozan had been the face for, you know, several years now. It's very hypocritical for these teams to ask for loyalty, ask for commitment, and not show anything in return to, to be able to say it's just a business 
from one side means that you have to accept it for both sides. And I think that's a bit of a hard reckoning, even for me, who who really wanted more from Kawhi Leonard in all of this. You know, on some level, I mean, it really does make sense. Mm-hmm. For him, I mean, I, I, I get it. If, if he was concerned there was a chance of re-injury, it sort of, it sort of puts it in a different light for me and, and not a way that I'm happy to have that revelation because it is still all kind of crummy. But, um, but you really do find it frustrating that you, you know, you can't, you can't have like the, these, these organizations can't have it both ways. Right. Yeah, I know you're right. It is, especially with the, the, the Kawhi one in particular, it is interesting because there's a lot of questions on, you know, how injured is he and how loyal was he to the San Antonio Spurs in that last year right there. Um, so to trade for a player who has loyalty issues, um, to trade your superstar oh, trust player. Issues really now. He's, yeah. he's going to have trust issues coming to your organization. Mm-hmm. So to trade your superstar player who didn't necessarily have those same question marks, who was beloved within the Toronto community, it, it's, it really is kind of a tough pill to swallow. And it, it does stink that, uh, you know, like this does happen to happen to, to DeMar, a player who I think is pretty clear when you factor in playoff success and just overall accolades is the best player in Toronto's uh, Raptors franchise history. Um, I think Vince Carter had definitely a higher peak in, in that short window that he was there. And, you know, he could have easily been the best player ever. But if you're if, if we're looking at Chris Bosh, for example, even like a young team act, I think DeMar DeRozan is definitely the best player. So this is going to... Yeah, I mean, the other guys, either they didn't stick around long enough or they didn't achieve as much as DeMar DeRozan achieved while he was there. I mean, those teams with Bosh just didn't get very far in a lot of cases. And the teams with Vince and T-Mac just... It was such a short, short run. It's hard to have mm-hmm. that same kind of prestige that DeMar DeRozan brought for them. Yeah, I mean, DeMar DeRozan back in 2016 when he was a free agent, he got a lot of praise from the Toronto community. He didn't even take a free agent meeting with another team out there. He was a free agent. You know, how often do we see that with like some of the bigger free agents? They go kind of about that parade route of let's see what the other teams have. Let's see what they have to offer. And DeMar DeRozan's a guy who's famously from the L.A. area. So it seemed like an obvious sort of fit there as well as a rebuilding Lakers team that had cap space. Hey, look like DeMar DeRozan, you know, come on home. He didn't do that. He stayed in Toronto. And we see this a lot with franchise. A lot of times players don't want to go to certain places or, you know, there's like that, there's that, uh, just the overall sentiment of players going to go to those warm cities, right? Like that's why Miami's warm always, cities are tax breaks yeah, like LA is always going to be considered a, a free agent destination. Miami's always going to be considered a free agent destination. We don't see that with Toronto. The franchise hasn't been around as long. Like, they started when in the mid-90s, off the top of my head. Um, so they don't really have the rich history that other teams do, uh, in particular when it comes to signing free agents. So to get one who you've drafted and developed and proven, hey, like, this is your place, please, like, stay with us, and he openly does that, it, it does kind of it, it does suck, to be honest, like, for, for him, for the community who's fallen in love with him, because um, he did bleed Toronto. Like, you, you know, you'd see him even, like, wearing, like, Toronto Blue Jays hats, at, like, Blue Jays games. Um, so that's what you hope for. That's what you want your players to do. And then he does that, but he does get traded uh, because of that sort of championship window. That's the ultimate goal for NBA franchise. Yeah, it is frustrating. But it, I think it lends to a larger topic that we could probably dive into, and that's these are two major all-star players, and in, in one case all-NBA players, player moving teams, and the sheer amount of even in the last two to three years of all NBA player, all NBA talent or potential all NBA talent moving teams has been staggering, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're talking about so many major player movements between Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, DeMar DeRozan. Like, those are just four names that I just thought of in two seconds. Yeah, I can run through a list. Yeah, real you can quick run through the whole want. list yeah. for me because I think it's worth 
yes. kind of explaining how much player movement we've seen of the top end of the NBA. Yeah, so the, you mentioned this the last couple of years alone. So Kevin Durant on OKC, DeMarcus Cousins was a king, LeBron was a Cav, Kyrie was a Cav, Kawhi, DeRozan we just talked about, uh, Chris Paul was a Clipper, Blake was a Clipper, Paul George was a Pacer, Jimmy Butler was a Bull, Isaiah Thomas on the Celtics, Carmelo as a Nick, um, Gordon Hayward on, on Utah as well. And um, those are all all-star players right there who have changed teams in the last handful of years for various reasons, whether it be free agent based, trade based. Um, and it just, it, it is, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. And it speaks to the the larger question of, is this good for the league and kind of what brings about a lot of these changes. And uh, I'd love to hear your opinions. My, I'm on the mindset of a lot of these changes in particular um, have come about because this is the last like handful of years in particular has been the player empowerment movement in particular. Um, we've seen that with, uh, going back to like whether it be like trade demand based so going back to like Carmelo Anthony on the Nuggets right like he forced his way to New, to the New York Knicks to no other franchise but the New York Knicks um, Denver got a good return and all that and since then we've seen players just feel more open and more of the mindset of if I'm not happy I can do something about it and whether that be in free agency I'll just go to the place I want to go um, where we see that with like LeBron this past off or this off season right now, right? Like he Kevin Durant, he didn't take it like Kevin Durant, like in particular LeBron, though, like LeBron didn't take any meetings. He gave that sort of I'm using quotation marks here, fake meeting with the Philadelphia 76ers. He didn't meet with Cleveland. It was clear like he had his mindset to go to L.A., which is his right. He's earned that right. He can go wherever he wants. Um, and then we see that with player trades as well. Like I brought up Carmelo, Kyrie had a similar sort of circumstance of I'm not happy. Here's what I want. Like, I, I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I feel like if you're going through NBA history, you didn't see this as much. Uh, and I, I, just to see like all these players who decide I'm not happy in this situation, I'm going to explore other options. It's, it's, it's fascinating because it makes for a league that just constantly is in almost turnover right now in terms of like the, the teams and how they transition, how they have to operate. And as a front office, you have to be prepared that even though we've signed this guy to a five-year deal, he may want out after the first year, or after the second year. You may want out after six months of signing that deal because we just players just feel so much more empowered to speak their mind, which I'm for the record, I'm in favor of. I think if you're unhappy in a situation, you should have the right to say something. Uh, but it does it does create just a different element that we hadn't seen in previous decades. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that it is the player empowerment movement. And if you're asking, is it good for the league? I think it's good for the league in June and July. It sure. gets them yeah. headlines like nobody's business. I mean, yeah. the amount of times that me and my coworkers are glued to Twitter just trying to see what's the what's going to happen to player X, Y, or Z um, is staggering. But is it good for the league during the season? I'm not as convinced. Um, it It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because it's good for some players, but it also hurts some players and it hurts some some teams. You look at the Kawhi Leonard or the Kyrie Irving situation. It was great for Kawhi, uh, for Kyrie, bad for LeBron James, bad for the NBA because it it took the biggest, you know, the best chance of knocking off Golden State or at least making a compelling finals. It ruined that, right? And it hurt LeBron James and it hurt the city of Cleveland. Um, you look at the Wolves right now, and Jimmy Butler's already got rumblings of wanting to get out of there and play with his friend Kyrie somewhere. They don't, you know, not saying specifically where, but you know. Jimmy Butler's kind of the, the, you know, between him and Carl Anthony Towns, that is the heart of that organization, and that already looks like it's destined for an early split. Um, so you get those weird situations. Oklahoma City went through the same problems with Kevin Durant. So it was great for Kevin Durant and good for the Warriors, really bad for your other, you know, all-NBA player, Russell Westbrook, 
um, and really bad for Oklahoma City. So it's kind of a, you know, it's it's really good for headline grabbing. It's I'm not always convinced it's good for the health of the league. But at the same time, I I, I say that, but I, I remember how bad basketball sometimes felt in the 90s where every team had one good player. And then there was a couple teams with two good players and those teams ran roughshod over everybody else, and you just watched so many good careers get wasted. Absolutely wasted, because they could never seemingly get another player onto that team, mm. and the players had tremendous loyalty to organizations, and it ended up being to their detriment, and they just toiled away in just mediocrity for their entirety of their careers, and that was really sad to watch. Um, I just... So I, I think I, I do prefer how the NBA is today because it certainly can be more exciting. I just, I think there's got to be some kind of better happy medium. Um, And I do think at some point it's going to come down to, we joked a lot about it or or even sort of called for it and that I wanted San Antonio to try and make a stand and just bench Kawhi for a season because at some point organizations on some level, if they're going to demand player loyalty, need to make a stake for that and that we're going to cost you years of your prime if you sign a deal with us and then don't see it through. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you sort of take power back in that scenario. Um, you know, it's going to suck when one player is eventually sacrificed in that scenario, um, and that you're going to lose a good, you know, a year of somebody. But we already saw that with Kawhi. We lost a year last year because he just had trust issues with the organization and was more concerned with his future. Um, so I, I don't know what if there's a way to make a happy medium between those two. But I think the player power movement has maybe pushed things a little too far in the current direction and that it's so volatile and so top-heavy that there are issues. I mean, there are a lot of people that complain already that what's the point of this upcoming season because you know how it's going to end. Yeah, it, it, so a lot of it goes down to how you want to... For me, it's like the, the last argument that you brought up. Um, it goes down to, like, what do you enjoy about basketball? Like, a lot of people, they do have the assumption of, okay, we know Golden State's going to potentially win the finals again. So like, what's the point? Like, I enjoy all the little things that I can go into hours talking about. Correct. Um, but I, I'm wondering, like, as well, is... so. With, it depends with all, on what the NBA is coveting. If they're coveting the casual fans, teams like the Golden State Warriors really help. Like, that sure. helps the NBA bottom line because yeah. that is must-see television because you know that every night you watch a Golden State Warriors game, you're going to see something cool happen because they've got so many great players. I think the problem you run into is that for your more diehard, dedicated fans... It's not fun watching one team beat the crap out of everybody else year after year after year because teams are afraid to really go all in at times because what's the point if we're going to lose to them anyways? Mm -hmm. So you just get a lot of teams just, you know, trying to sink their own ship, unfortunately. Yeah, you do. And it it's but it goes back to that earlier point i brought up of like there are two tiers you want to be in you want to be in the the best of the best or you want to be in the worst of the worst um because that is the the easiest way to get back to the path or to stay within the path um one thing i I think is interesting that i i know we've talked to tom briefly and i'm surprised we don't see more of it because i know we see this in like other sports like baseball for example is the the thought of no trade clauses because um, a lot of times we see these star players and, you know, like we see it on Twitter all the time, like they'll make those references of like no loyalty within the game, like everything's a business, um, which is true. But why aren't these players negotiating for something that gives them more control if that's what they want? Because you see that with like Blake Griffin, for example, right? he just signed that huge five year deal. We touched on uh, shortly after the time of signing that deal, the lengths that the L.A. Clippers went 
to convincing Blake to stay, right? Do you remember, like, they had that mm-hmm. um, fake jersey retirement ceremony with the announcer. Uh, they gave him, like, a maze that essentially walked him through, not a maze, but, like, a pathway that walked him through his career going back to Oklahoma, early days in Lob City to where he was at now and where it's going to ultimately end up. And that plays with the emotions of players a lot. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to convince the player mm-hmm. this is the place you want to be. This is where uh, you want to structure yourself. And then as, almost as soon as he's eligible to be traded, Blake Griffin shipped out to the, the uh, Detroit Pistons, um, a team that, for all we know, had he had no intentions of even like meeting with if he was a free agent. So why is he like why is he all of a sudden getting shipped there? Um, whereas Blake Griffin, a star in the league, decides, okay, I'll sign here, but give me a no trade clause. I think that does change things. Um, ultimately, like Blake Griffin, still like a year down the road, two years down the road, could say, okay, I'm unhappy. Like like bring me to a new situation. Here's the teams I'm interested in. And, you know, we're potentially back in the same boat that we are right now. But when it comes down to player loyalty um, or team loyalty, rather, I think that's something that players could potentially try to negotiate for and more in the coming years to at least give them more power as to this is my this is my life. Um, this is where I want to be. And I'm going to do something about it. I definitely wouldn't hate that idea because I, I, I somehow there needs to be repairing of the relationship between teams and players because right now it feels like an us versus them kind of thing in most cases and all but a few scenarios and, and mainly we're talking like a golden state right mm-hmm. nobody seems to really trust their own organizations outside of very 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 few select teams you even look right now in minnesota i just talked about jimmy butler maybe wanting out carl anthony towns has already publicly said he has reservations about staying in minnesota long term as well okay can i touch on that did you see that interview in particular which was very i didn't read the whole okay, thing so there's just one quote so this is like basic pr 101 and i'm sure you'll understand this as well and agree with it uh, so let's go to Michael Porter Jr., who had, if you remember, he was drafted by Denver Nuggets. He had those health concerns about his back. So he gets immediately drafted. gets back surgery. <laughs> yeah, immediately gets back surgery. But he like he, he's in Denver for the very first time, and like the very first question is, you know, like what are your thoughts on the Denver Nuggets, the Denver community, da da da. And he he says everything that you're supposed to say, right? He's like, oh, I love it. Like, uh, uh, this is the place you want to be. This is the place I want to build around. This is, like where I want to grow up, all that stuff. And then the, the next question after that is, well, how long have you like how like how many times you've been here? He's like, oh, I've never been here before. Uh, how many? How long you've been here? Oh, I've been here since I got off the plane like 20 minutes ago. And like you realize like how stupid that all sounds in yes. hindsight. But still, like it's what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say like I love this area. This is where I want to be. So for Carl Anthony Towns, a uh, guy who's like what in his fourth, fifth year in the league, whatever yeah. he's in, to openly like kind of have those reservations of like oh like you know Minnesota, uh, just be to give the wishy washy answer. Like the stupidest thing you could do, even if you don't mean it. Like you, you just you have to put face for both yourself and the organization. So mini rant, but it's just it's, yeah. it seems so obvious. Yeah, it's it's weird because the players you would think would be more prepared to deal with press questions than probably any time in the history of the NBA, just as far as the amount of coaching that goes into these players from the PR side. Mm-hmm. Really, those answers should be easily easy and automatic. And sometimes it's obviously strategic. Guys are trying to send a message or whatever. But in most cases, it just strikes me as guys just sort of let, get too lax. They get too conversational or they're too used to that Twitter mindset where they feel like it's a... An open platform. Oh, an open platform, but also private. Like, I seem to think that it's like a place for private thoughts sometimes when it's really not. You're just, you're out in the open. So there's too much of that, and sometimes that mindset can carry over when you're in these informal situations, and, and I just don't understand it. As someone who came from sports PR, it's really not that hard, you're right, to just say the right thing, even if you don't really mean it. Just say the easy right thing. I mean, you'd love if a guy like Michael Porter could maybe cover his tracks a little better. 
Um, you, you know, the way you phrase your answers will help avoid some of the looking like a dumbass 30 seconds later. But overall, you appreciate the effort if you're Denver PR. Sure. So, yeah. But uh, back to the topic of, of the bigger player movement. Do you think there's any way that this all gets to a head where it becomes a problem that they even... I mean, they've, they've talked about it loosely already, but a problem that the league has to try and step in and, and restrict in a way. Do you think it's going to get that far? Or is someone who's a bit more progressive like Adam Silver hoping that it just sort of auto-corrects itself? I think I don't really. I'm not in the. I'm not in the sort of the the corner of that they need. They meaning the league needs to do something about this, um, especially when it comes like we've touched on a couple different things right now. But let's look at uh, team dominance, for example, and you know like how Golden State, like you know like teams or like you know player like that that one circumstance right there was so. Um, just depending on the what was going on at the time, like there was the cap spike. There was yeah, the cap uh, spike. The player, the players did it to themselves by right. voting. They shot for, themselves in the foot there. Yes, they won't admit it. And the the player union head there, Michelle Roberts. Yeah, she's trying to say, well, it's not our fault when it's one hundred percent their own fault. They voted that they wanted all the money in that one off season, and it screwed everybody except for Golden State because Golden State took advantage of it better than anybody else did in that one off season because mm-hmm. what they already had in place. And then what they were able to bring in in that one off season, and it screwed all the other players because Evan Turner wanted more money that year. Like yeah, that's what you that's what you did it for because Kevin Durant didn't take advantage of it. Kevin Durant signed a below market value deal. The guys who took advantage of it were um, Evan Turner yeah. and I mean, you saw we've seen players trade his off seasons like Timothy Mozgov. Tim Mozgov, yeah, Luol like, Dang. Like those are Bianca. the guys that you sacrificed your health of your sport for to get more money. Because that was Michelle Roberts's. Well, those guys were already going to free agency. We couldn't. We couldn't turn our backs on them. That's what you sacrificed the health of your league for. So I, that that is definitely the own. That's the player's fault. But at the same time, you know that eventually will course correct. I do think that part because one, Golden State can't stay together forever, and even if they do, players will start to age out. Injuries will catch up to them. That will eventually course correct. It's whether or not other teams are able to do what Golden State does. Is there just going to be a different team? That can just keep assembling like that. Like, are you just going to have this every four years? One mega team dies and another mega team, you know, mm-hmm. builds. Yeah, is yeah. that going to be the the pace or the the way the NBA works after this? I, I mean, part I think partly yes. Uh, and a lot of that goes down to just where we are as a league. It's, players just seem to know each other so much more, and that goes back to like AAU days, like high school days. Like we see it, these players just have deep roots and these deep relationships. Uh, on their way to the NBA, and they always have those pipe dreams of like, oh, I wish we could play together. And now with uh, the player movement that we touched on earlier, that's a lot more possible, a lot more feasible than it was 20, 30 years ago. And it, you factor in like AAU stuff, you factor in as well. Team USA seems to have a big part in a lot of this stuff. It has a um, huge part of it. I mean, that's where all these guys really become friends as professionals. Mm-hmm. I think going back to, I mean, roughly what year are we talking right now um, when Team USA kind of exploded back? Because I think. Uh, Athens, Greece was 2000, right, where they kind of struggled and got third place. 2000 2004. I think Um, 2004 was the year it all started to come back together. Yeah, and then 2008 was looked at as the quote-unquote redeem team, going back to the 92 Dream Team, that actually had those star powers who said, like, the LeBron James, like the, you know, like the the prime Kobe Bryant, let's go out there and just destroy people. Um, And they they did have a successful uh, Olympic run there. I think that, so those relationships that are built around Team USA seem to clearly have... A direct impact. I mean, like LeBron James and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, they touched on Team USA 2008, 
they said that they haven't really like they didn't openly discuss like getting together but it's there's a lot of reports that they were kind of like getting pretty friendly back then and i think a lot of those things like they do matter because players want to be happy i think i think for too long you touched on like the, the one superstar on a team just kind of going through mediocrity like look at like the you know the, the kevin garnett's for example before he got traded to boston like he was stuck in minnesota hellhole for so long there um, not that Minnesota's not a place, but the franchise just wasn't run properly in terms I mean, of player movements. David Robinson was on middling Spurs teams for years and years and years before they used a, a minor injury to tank for a whole season and get lucky with some ping pong balls, but otherwise he was another player destined for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see it all the time. And I think players are just so much more, since they feel that sort of openness of, okay, like this isn't working out for me, you guys are, aren't sort of progressing. on the Like I'm doing my job on the court, you guys aren't doing your job in the front office. Let's talk about what we can do from here. Uh, it just it just makes it so much easier and so much and teams are just so much more willing to move on because they they've learned, especially when you look at the Kawhi situation, like just how much this can derail potential potentially derail a franchise. I still think that there's one easy solution to this. If you if the NBA views it as a problem, what's happening with the mega teams and players always joining up and all the thing, the one easy solution and we've talked about it before is either eliminate the max contract or heavily raise it right if you raise the percentage high enough that'll have a similar effect but just guys will take 10 million dollars off of a max contract if it means that they'll have they can join up with some other really good players and winning brings more endorsements and all of those things it raises your profile all of those things you can make that money up if if you go from turning down 34 million for 24 million right and then the situ- and now the decision is turned down $60 million mm-hmm. to take $24 million. It's not a decision anymore. Guys can't make that much money up. Yeah. Um, and it suddenly changes the way. And also, you don't need a no-trade clause because no one's trading for a $60 million contract. Like, it, it just sort of fixes everything. But it also really does have the option to push you all the way back to what we talked about being the era of not as great basketball where guys were just stuck on an island. I mean, that's that's the hard thing. That's why I said I'd be curious if the NBA ever decides to step in on that level because if it's viewed as that bad of a problem, that is the fix. But that fix brings with it some pretty heavy consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've, I have been one who's uh, looked at the pos- – or thought that it might be a good idea to explore the um, max cal- – or excuse me, the max salary sort of just being erased because you're right, like – if LeBron James is out there and he wants to make fifty million dollars a year, he's if any player can make it or should be able to make it, like it's probably him. There are like ten guys right now who could probably make forty to sixty million dollars a year right now if they hit free agency, mm-hmm. and that means that none of them are going to be on super teams because how do you turn down fifty million dollars a year unless you're at the very end of your like LeBron could potentially be the one guy who would turn it down only because he's made so much money and he's at the very end, you know, he's at the later stage of his career. He might just say, "I want to win." But I would have a real hard time believing that a lot of these guys would pass up $30 million on their contract just to play with a friend. Mm-hmm. Like, that gets real tricky yeah. at that point. Um, so, I, I think that's definitely something you can explore. The other option, I, I can't remember if you touched on this, was uh, football has it, like the idea of potentially having a, just an outright hard cap that teams yes. can't go past. So that way, you know, like everybody has their max contracts, but if you're the Golden State Warriors, you have to figure out a way to... To finagle, like you know, Correct. to work it so that way you can, you can, you can sign all the guys you want within, like you know, within the cap, but you can't get past that hundred and yeah, whatever you can, forty you million. You can have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson. You will have nothing but veteran minimum players. Other than that, like no one else on your roster can make more money than that. 
um, good luck. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can do that route. It just comes with a heavy heavy price. Yeah. Of you are going to be a bit of a glass cannon. Like you you will have three guys and no one else on your team. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a legitimate way to go too. And I would be honestly, I'd be okay with either of those things because I think it does shake up basketball in the process. Um, and maybe maybe ends up with a healthier product down the line. I'm just not 100% convinced 100% convinced of it because I'm I'm at the point now where I would rather wait a couple more years and see if the league naturally course corrects on its own once Golden State starts to fall apart because it really does seem like that cap spike might be the root of all the problems and once that washes away in its entirety you might be in a perfectly okay shape as a league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean an- another issue, I don't know if I mean issue is the right word, but one thing that um, I think it makes it difficult for certain teams is just, I don't know how you fix this, but ownership's willingness to in particular pay the tax. I think that that's something that isn't talked about a lot, but it should be looked at because if you look at situations like the, the Denver Nuggets, right? Like they had a pretty good um, team with a lot of depth, even players like Wilson Chandler just got traded. Um, like they just dumped three players, Wilson Chandler, Darrell Arthur, and Kenneth Freed. Um, I know Arthur has some long-term health issues that looks like he's not gonna be able to play consistently, but Wilson Chandler, like the, that's the that's the player you want on your team for depth, like a switchable forward. Kenneth Fareed, like he's uh, he's got his problems, but he's good off the bench. Yeah, unfortunately, he's like ten years too late in terms of like what he was good at. But in terms of as a backup center, like that's a player you want on his team. Like they're dumping these players because ownership is saying like we're not paying the tax, we're not paying the tax. Whereas you look at Golden State, like their tax bills through the roof. Um, a team that uh, the Celtics who like just resigned Marcus Smart, they're over the tax right now, and ownership has said like, or they've given the indication of we're willing to pay the tax. That matters for teams, and that look at Houston. That, that, Houston yeah. just actually probably wrecked their chances this year because they dumped players because they didn't want to keep paying so much in the tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've so, denied it, but like, what other excuse? There's do no they other have? excuse. It, you can't get rid of your two perimeter three and D guys and bring in likely Carmelo Anthony uh, if Michael, you're not Michael Carter Williams. Let's not forget Michael Carter Williams and Carmelo Anthony as your solution because you didn't want to pay. Like it's clear that was because of the tax bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that does it leads to more potential league imbalance because the teams that are willing to pony up a little extra, who have ownership groups with deeper pockets, or at least more lubricated pockets, um, are getting a competitive advantage. And, and again, that goes back to hard cap versus soft cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it, it fascinates me. Um, we see it obviously a lot more with small market versus big market. Like usually, big markets are mm-hmm. have the ownership who's willing to, you know, get, get a, go a little deeper into that pocket. Um, whereas the the Denver Nuggets, like we've seen it with um, teams like Charlotte in the past, like New Orleans has this issue where as soon as they approach that tax line, all of a sudden they have to figure out if they need to trade second round picks for getting rid of off of this. Like, or they'll $3 do it for one salary. year and then they'll have to start yeah, dumping they'll, parts yeah, they'll off. immediately re, um, restructure everything, which it, it does change a lot of it. Um, I don't necessarily know what the best route is because like a lot. Uh, my understanding, with especially when it comes to tax bills, is that's just that that is the money coming out of ownership's pockets. Yes, um, and it's an escalating penalty. And it is fascinating to me how fan bases are just openly cognizant of that at this point, and they're concerned for ownership, uh, which it just kind of blows my mind. Like people, like I've seen a lot on Celtics Twitter recently, like people are freaking out, like, oh, we might have to trade Marcus Morris right now because we don't want Wick Grossbeck, who's made more money than any of us could even dream of, of paying you know a handful of like I say handful, but like millions of dollars here or there to get this competitive team. Of which they will heavily um, recoup in ticket prices, TV contracts, sure. stadium concessions, merchandise for all the jerseys for whatever favorite player they re-sign. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah, you're, you're 
fretting, fretting over the money of a man who's got more money than he knows what to do with. Mm-hmm. And you touch. I know you've you mentioned them on the show before, so we, we talked about the Denver Nuggets. Kroenke uh, owns them. Who had, I think he had, he owns at least a couple of his uh, professional sports. Yeah, professional teams. scumbag um, Stan Kroenke. He has the. I think pretty sure the L.A. Rams. He's got. Um, isn't there some sort of ownership of Walmart as well in there? Or is that and he else? owns a hockey team. Yeah. I forget which one off the top of my head. They're all in different markets because they can't be in the same market, if I remember correctly. It's all ridiculous. But he all he owns multiple uh, professional sport franchises and is heavily involved in both. I think the trucking business and Walmart. It's all ridiculous, and he's got he is Scrooge McDuck. Uh, incarnate and yet people fret over whether or not he's going to spend money it gets it's ridiculous i think we should move on though because we could get stuck here for hours and hours and hours i wanted to touch on a couple smaller player movement uh things that'll happen you brought it up marcus smart resigns with the celtics on a four-year 52 million dollar deal 13 million a year are you happy with that deal are you comfortable with that deal moving forward yeah i'm comfortable with it i think my initial sort of guess if i remember back at the time was four years 48 million that's kind of where i valued at him um, I thought I, I thought 15 was too much. I thought 10 might have been too little. And this is really that happy sort of medium. Uh, it's a contract that we weren't really sure was going to get sort of negotiated because it seemed pretty clear that Marcus Smart was going to come back to Boston. Um, it really just came down to whether or not it was going to be an actual long-term deal or if it was just going to be that qualifying offer. I think the Celtics were really hoping someone else would offer him a four-year, $45 million deal and they could just match it. And yeah. that didn't end up having to. They actually had to negotiate. I think he, he was. they were much hoping that someone would just give him a, a slightly lower deal that they could easily match. Yeah. I do think it's the right thing for the team. Obviously, he's a very important part of the team. It does make me interesting, interested to think back of like what I thought when they gave Avery Bradley his first restricted free agent contract and how at the time I thought I was overpaid, he ended up fully fulfilling that value to me anyways, obviously to most people as well. You know, it was a lot less, but different landscape of the NBA back then. The financials weren't quite as exploded. Going, would you have rather kept Avery Bradley than Marcus Smart going forward? Or are you pretty happy with how that panned out on having Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley being elsewhere? Yeah, no, I'd much rather have Marcus Smart at this point than Avery Bradley. Because um, I know Avery Bradley, he resigned a one or two year deal. I think the second year is uh, partially guaranteed for team option with LA Clippers. Um, but I think Marcus Smart just especially with the way the league has gone. Uh, he's bigger. He he still can't shoot to save his life, and I think... And you know, Avery can, though. That's the one trade-off. You're, you're sacrificing a little bit of extra defense for um, better shooting. Yeah, but the, there's other things that go into it as well. Like Marcus Smart is by far a better playmaker and mm-hmm. just overall dribbler within space. Um, Marcus Smart, like he can openly defend one through three pretty comfortably in this league. We've seen him defend We've seen fours. Him four and five. Yeah, he and defended Carl Anthony Towns pretty well at one point yeah. as well. And just to seeing him like... So I think he... What he does just doesn't get measured on the basketball court a lot of times. Um, and that's pretty well known around the league at this point. But he's also a very sort of specific player. Like, not every single team could, can have a Marcus Smart on their team. Um, but as we saw, like, quickly around the league, as soon as cap space started drying up, it seemed pretty obvious that he was going to come back to the Celtics. So I'm happy with this deal. I think it's a, it's also a great deal for looking down the road at uh, sort of trade options because of that sort of middle salary base, like mm-hmm. around, like, 13 and a half, whatever it ends up being. Uh, that does make this a contract that can work for superstar-based trades or even just just different sort of meddling all-star-based trades. Like Celtics didn't have that. They had a lot of top-heavy and smaller contracts. I was surprised that the, the Kings did not throw him an offer of any kind. I did expect that to happen, but it didn't. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. The Celtics get their man and bring him back. And I think that, it, like you said, I think it was the right move for the team. The other um, sort of noteworthy deal, the Hawks trade Dennis Schroeder and Mike Muscala to the Thunder for Carmelo Anthony and a 2022 first-round pick. Um, you know, it's it's one of those deals that everyone, 
knew that the uh, Thunder were desperately trying to make anything to get Carmelo off that team. Obviously, Carmelo is getting bought out by the Hawks. But really, for them, it is noteworthy. I was surprised they were able to bring in even a player of Schroeder's uh, caliber. I didn't think that they were going to get anything of value back in the deal. And that is a player that you can use on the floor, actually. Yeah, well, it's I guess it depends on how you look at it. Um, I'm wondering, I think he's probably going to ultimately be tried to flip again because he's, uh, he's just not somebody who really plays well off the ball, neither Correct. does Russ Westbrook. Uh, he would have to be a. He just have to be a straight backup at this point. If you were going to use him, he'd be a straight backup for Carm- uh, for for Russell. And I don't necessarily know if they need that, but I, I just I, thought, I didn't think they'd get anyone who with legs. I didn't think they actually with like hands and feet. I didn't think they get anything back for Carmelo. So that was interesting. But yeah, you said do you think they'll flip him? I think yeah, I think he's going to get flipped. I just because if he if he's backup, like how many minutes of a game is Westbrook playing? So that gives him like what twelve minutes a game potentially. Yeah. Um, and. I think uh, Schroeder is an interesting case because we've seen this around the league. Like teams are so afraid of long-term money. Like that, that's sort of the one. If if you looked at overall themes of this free agency, probably number one up there uh, is teams are terrified to give more than one-year deals. Teams have no money and they're afraid to spend. Everyone it. <laughs> was giving every for the most part outside of like select players. Like everybody was getting one-year deals, one-year deal, one-year one-year deal. Um, Schroeder has three years, fifteen million per uh, left on his contract, and I think teams are absolutely terrified of that, but. Well, who do you think then, if they're going to flip him, who do you think is even a candidate for that? Who Who's going to want that? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, because so many teams around the league, they either have established point guards or they have young, developing point guards who they want to keep and make sure there's playing time for. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, unless uh, unless a team like Orlando kind of fancies, I know they, they have a, a DJ Augustine, they just traded for Jerry and Grant from Chicago, who they're probably going to take a look at, but... It's only the only team off the top of my head who kind of needs an established point yeah. guard. Uh, maybe if Milwaukee decides Eric Bledsoe isn't the right fit, they can take a shot at Schroeder. I don't know. Who's, who's right now the starting in Detroit? Uh, well, Reggie Jackson is yeah, Mr. Right. Injury prone, unfortunately. Yeah. But it could there. be an insurance policy there if they wanted to. Um, either way, yeah, I mean, it's he's not going to be a, sh- a major component for the upcoming Thunder season, it would seem. More interesting is now, obviously, the Houston Rockets will likely get their man in uh, Carmelo Anthony and... Uh, they will enjoy every bit of that because I, I just, I'm no longer, I used to have faith that he would sort of have a late career resurgence and I'm just not convinced of it anymore. I, I think what we saw last season just is what he is. And uh, and given what Houston let walk out the door, I think this is just another step in the wrong direction for them mm-hmm. this offseason. Yeah, I'm with you completely. I, I If you recall, I was pretty high on the Thunder last year. I, I thought that Carmelo Anthony would be that Olympic Carmelo that we saw that Shared the ball, kept it flowing, knocked down a bunch of three-pointers. It was the exact opposite of that, unfortunately. Um, and I think this is a move that uh, Houston probably needs to make because they just they need something else out there. But I'm not sure it's 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 going to help them all that much, to be honest. And then the last sort of deal I wanted to talk about was probably the biggest one of the last couple of weeks, and that is Michael Beasley joins the Los Angeles Lakers <laughs> to team up with Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, and LeBron James. JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee. I do not – I mean – LA loves themselves some head cases, I think. Oh, yes. This is the. This is bizarre. Like, you just trying to drive LeBron James to the loony bin in his first season? I'm not. I don't understand how this is happening. Yeah. This is a statement you probably couldn't make until 2018 because it wouldn't have made any sense, but this is probably the memeiest team of all time in yeah. regards to just how goofy some of these but players again, are like, in the connection. I, you know that LeBron typically has some input on in the teams. They've kind of said that he doesn't. He's not really inputting on these ones, it sounds like, as much, but hot damn. Like. <laughs> You're literally going to make the man commit a crime in his first season as he's got to run around with a bunch of knuckleheads on the floor. Like, he's a disciplined, smart basketball player, and outside of Rondo, 
who's not exactly disciplined, though he is very smart, you're not exactly surrounding him with top quality, smart, disciplined basketball players. You're you're doing the opposite. Yeah, I think it's it's clear LeBron in particular when he gets frustrated at teammates, a lot of it has to do with basketball IQ and yes. just on court awareness. And some of these players, unfortunately, uh, you mentioned Rondo is definitely the smartest of the bunch in returns. Yeah, he's got he's got great is. awareness. He's smart, but he's not disciplined. Like he but does, he's, he's just not a good basketball fit either. Like yes. he needs the ball in his hands. LeBron doesn't really do a. He hasn't. LeBron can be great off uh, off ball, but it's, he's probably better with the ball in his hands. Yeah. Um. The rest of those players, though, they they have some uh, question marks. I'll say. Like they're they're literally you just you just signed like three J.R. Smiths of the guy that nearly made LeBron's brain just collapse and form into a black hole you you just signed three of them to put on the court with him like he's gonna go crazy i don't understand the decision but it's gonna be kind of funny to watch i think oh yeah this is absolutely must watch tv uh i was a huge fan of lebron signing with the lakers to begin with because i think the, the league is better when some of those top like those top teams have the best players well yeah the big and, big markets when they've yeah. got those top quality players it does make for better television the lakers are always on tv anyways and it's kind of getting it's been frustrating to watch their you know like 21 team just getting yeah. destroyed on christmas and <laughs> christmas day yeah so to actually see lebron on there is going to be great um and it's i don't know like it's it, for me it doesn't really matter who you put on that team i, I just i would never bet against lebron not making the playoffs in the west even yeah, though I mean, are they just loading up stacked. on crappy one-year deal players and then hoping to then just like and just sort of packing it in for the season and trying to make themselves at least somewhat mildly entertaining to watch and maybe a playoff team and then really go for it next year like i don't love that idea because you're wasting one of the last years of lebron's prime in the process but yeah. it's pretty clear at this point that they're not going after anyone else of, of note. They're just going to sign crappy guys. Yeah. Uh, you're, you, I mean, you, you touched on a couple important things there. For one, it's all one-year deals, so you're right. Like This gives them a chance to reset next offseason. Well, it's clearly um, that, yeah, they've made that decision. Like, uh, okay, that we're packing it in this year. But I would have rather they maybe gone for an overpay of Clint Capella or something like that. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that does mess with your long-term financials. But I, I just at least... If you're going to have LeBron James, you need to at least try and compete for a title because you've you've got only so many years of just the greatest basketball player of a generation, maybe of all time. Like, I, you can't waste that. You can't waste it. you got to make a run at it and yeah. hope for something good to happen. And what they've signed is not that thing. Like, at least Clint Capella would be an improvement. Like, you would make your team better in the process. This is not making your team better in the process. Yeah, I mean, it's possible they think these are good moves, but from the general public sort of perspective, and what from what I, from what I know, what I've seen these players do, they're not really the the best chances. I, I just feel like I would rather them take, you know, like I don't know, like either. I, I just feel like Julius Randle would have probably been better to keep from this team. Yeah. Than just bringing back some of these guys. Yeah, there there were safer, smarter moves I thought that could have been made, and instead they went for these weird, kind of wacky playmakers who are just sort of absent-minded a lot. Great, um, great social media content, though. I'm excited sure, for that. Sure, sure. There'll be lots of great <laughs> gifts where LeBron's just doing the what is happening right now, yeah. you know, move. Um, all right, that's that's probably a good place for us to stop this week. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope you join us next time. I'm Sean Halatic. He's David Rodriguez. We are Crashing the Glass, and you have yourself a wonderful NBA week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crashing the Glass. Like what you hear? then please subscribe to us on either the Apple Podcast or the Google Play Store. And you know what? While you're there, leave us a five-star review and let us know how we're doing. Looking for more Crashing the Glass action? You can follow us at Twitter, at CTGPod. 
You can always send us an email at crashingtheglasspod at gmail.com for review topics or even questions you want us to answer on the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.